Greetings, friends, and welcome to the sixth edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's News and Information Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's November 18th, 2020. My guest today is Reba's Executive Officer, John Marcantonio. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Paul. Thanks for having me again. Okay, today we'll talk about Reba membership, and there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. Is that the case, John? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people in the construction industry don't necessarily know what that means. And so, uh, you know, I welcome the opportunity here with you to discuss a little more in detail as to what membership actually entails. Okay, very good. Now, uh, let's begin with uh, the pandemic issues. I mean, membership has been going up, and uh, what has uh, Reba been doing to uh, strengthen itself during the pandemic and to strengthen the membership? Yeah, you know, so the, the pandemic's a great example of uh, how an industry coming together, right, through its trade association can have one voice and how that voice can influence everyone's business practices. Um, one of the primary things that the trade association has been doing since this thing started is actively negotiating and working with the state, um, its regulatory agencies, to provide protocols for our industry. Um, I think the Builders Association, in conjunction with other construction-related trade associations, did an excellent job of communicating why we could stay open and showing how us staying open during the pandemic uh, has benefited not only the economy, uh, but the, the overall economic activity, I should say, of, of the state. Um, we did so safely, we have done so safely, and we have communicated those safety guidelines uh, better than if we say, for instance, weren't at the table. So, uh, you know, as an example, when it comes to the actual safety protocols, you know, we were involved in, in trying to help the state understand the behaviors that are typical in our job sites, um, helped work through the idea that, like, say, for gloves weren't necessary in our industry, how we can handle hand washing and sanitization, uh, how distancing, mask wearing, and all those things could be applied on a construction site. Um, how the contact tracing could work or does work on a construction site. And it did so, like I said, in a collaborative way with other trade associations in the construction industry. So it makes sense, say, for instance, to have certain rules applied in residential that might be slightly different than, say, on a heavy commercial job site. But either way, through it all, the trade association has been there actively uh, engaged in the process. And most companies have no idea that, that we're doing this for their benefit and the safety of all their employees. All right, well. And that, and that strength, well, see, Paul, the, the, our ability to do that comes from a strong membership. And as, Reacher, as Reba approaches 1,000 member companies uh, as its total membership, uh, that, that strength, that ability to coordinate an industry, that ability to communicate to an industry as a partner with the state um, is a primary function of our trade association in, in this type of circumstance. Well, when it comes to communication, uh, obviously Reba's had to shift over to virtual uh, meetings and classes, things of that kind. How has that worked out for the members? Well, so we do a lot more than just advocate uh, without speaking to now, and that's kind of our uh, political advocacy side was where we would have been involved in negotiations. But all of our other activities, which basically makes up the other 80 percent, whether it be our information resources, our education programs, our workforce training programs, our safety programs, et cetera. Uh, yes, those all had to go virtual, and that was quite the adjustment. Um, for a trade association that was set up for all in person, 
uh, starting last March, we transitioned over to the Zoom platforms that a lot of companies had, obviously have used. But we did so very effectively. Um, so the point now that all of our workforce training programs, all six or seven training centers that we had before are active and they're virtual. So all of our carpentry, trade training, electrical, plumbing, all those pre-apprenticeship programs we have are functional and they're all being done uh, on Zoom. And so is our contract development program, which is the education resources for our member companies and anyone in the industry who, who wants to take those types of courses or development courses for both themselves and their employees. Those are all on Zoom. So, yeah, we made the transition, did it rather quickly, and it's been operating very well. Uh, however, we do look forward to getting back to in-person classes. Uh, I think we'll still keep cooperate uh, some of these Zoom or virtual classes because uh, it provides a lot of flexibility and, and allows for a greater um, participation. But uh, we've done so, uh, I think, done so rather well, Paul. So thanks for that question. Okay. Well, as editor of the uh, monthly magazine, the Rhode Island Builder uh, magazine, uh, I talk to the members a lot. And I interview them for the member profile articles, which are very popular. And one of the, uh, the most, uh, I guess, uh, praised member services that Reba offers is, is simply being able to call up the phone, pick up the phone and call Elise Geddes, the member or service coordinator or, or any of the other staff members. Can that still be done in the age of COVID? I know that the office is not open to the public, but what uh, can people still pick up the phone and call those all those great staff members? Well, certainly, Paul. That's, that's what we've been able to do. Um, the communication information resources that we have uh, are invaluable. I, I can't imagine someone looking to hire a doctor or go to a dentist that wasn't a member of the medical association. I mean, just like a doctor will use that trade association to get access to the newest information on drugs, procedures, etc. Uh, our membership uses its a trade association to get access to information, updates on codes, new materials, etc. And information information that you know, if you run across a problem with permitting or, or zoning and planning processes during the pandemic, we've been able to help and assist with that. I mean, we've helped the state transition with, with the assistance and coordination, building officials and the League of Cities and Towns, moving it over to a Zoom platform so that local planning uh, and zoning board approvals can happen. We've worked with the, the state building officials associations and the League and others to make sure inspection and permitting continue. Um, all these things are still going on, and we take calls on those issues every day. Our staff is fully prepared to answer and assist with those questions. And if they can't get an answer, uh, we will go and try and find that answer. If we can't, we don't know the answer, we'll go out and try and find that answer. And we, we bat, not a thousand percent, but we, we do quite well in trying to collect the information, distribute that information out to people. So, yeah, bring it on is the, uh, is the message to folks. If you if there's something you do, do not know or want to know about or having an issue or problem with something, um, you have access to me and any one of our members or staff or even our officers and other members will help members. So. Uh, again, uh, being uh, involved in the trade association, it's a, huge, it's a huge advantage in the marketplace. And so folks who um, have access to this information tend to benefit more than those that don't. Okay. Since the pandemic began, John, uh, is there a particular issue that stands out that members are calling uh, Reba, upon Reba for assistance with? Yeah, it's those two points I just brought up, Paul. It'd be, you know, the permitting and inspection process and the planning and zoning process, approval processes. Um, first couple months of the pandemic, a lot of towns shut down. There were there were no zoning or planning board meetings. A lot of projects were stopped. 
Uh, that got turned around rather quickly. I know it's not perfect now, but most of these towns are providing those resources or those critical planning processes through Zoom. Uh, we had to help the state collaborate with them and make some changes in executive offers, uh, executive executive orders, I should say, that would allow those things to take place virtually. Um, so, and, and the permitting and inspection side, uh, a lot of those town offices closed, the permitting or inspection had stopped. And, you, you know, with the relationships we have with the building officials, et cetera, uh, we've been able to get that back up and running with their help. Uh, they've been great. Uh, our membership and most of the industry has been very cooperative and understanding with building officials. So those two issues were, were the primary um, uh, need of assistance uh, early on in the pandemic. And then subsequently from then, uh, from that time on, it's been individual companies having questions or concerns about protocols for, uh, you know, the pro the safety protocols for COVID, or heaven forbid, if someone had an employee or a subcontractor who tested positive, how that gets handled. So, yeah, we do our best to connect them with the, you know, the professionals at the state or, or whoever can best answer their circumstance, but those have been the primary pushes, uh, concerns that have been pushed uh, to us in the last couple of months. Okay. Uh, another thing I hear a lot as far as uh, services that members appreciate, of course, is the Builders Insurance Group, Rebirth's a subsidiary that offers uh, uh, insurance to anyone, but particularly uh, contractors who uh, may need certain types of coverage, that sort of thing. Uh, has the uh, service been affected at all, or the staffing, when it comes to the Builders Insurance Group, or BIG as we call it? No, Paul, there, there is not a single service at the Trade Association that's not available now that was available, you know, before the pandemic started. Uh, including, obviously, our insurance agency, uh, Village Insurance Group, has, has chugged along. Uh, with it's, been a, it's a growing agency. Its ability and services grow every month. It's got an incredibly experienced staff. Um, so, yeah, no no interruptions at all on any of our business practices. Uh, alterations, adjustments, uh, but no interruptions, meaning there's been no halt to any of the services that we offer, uh, any of the members or the industry. Okay, uh, pro <clears throat> prognostication is difficult, of course, if not impossible, but there is talk now of a vaccine or two uh, coming on the pike relatively soon. Uh, if you'd care to speculate, what are your hopes uh, for Reba in 2021 as far as getting back to normal and uh, providing uh, whatever needs to be provided? Well, I mean, it's not a, a big issue as to whether the trade association gets back to normal. I mean, we've been made the adjustments and are functioning fine right now. I mean, we can't wait to get back in person. But for the general public in our industry to get back to a, a normal circumstance where they can meet and congregate and, and uh, go about their, their merry way as if the pandemic didn't occur, I, I think you're looking at, from what I've been able to read uh, and some of the meetings that I've been engaged in, uh, listening to the, the, the folks who know this issue better than I communicate it, I, I think obviously there's a vaccine. It seems very effective. Uh, the uh, the efficacy rate of 90% or more, 90 95% or more of these Moderna and, and Pfizer vaccines, if that holds, that's on par with your like measles and chickenpox type vaccines. Uh, an efficacy rate of that percentage, from what I've been able to read and ascertain, would uh, really allow us to get control over this virus uh, in a relatively short period of time. Um, you know, I'd say within the next year or so, if enough people can take the vaccine, you could get uh, you could get uh, ahead of this thing pretty quickly. So it's going to be the distribution of that vaccine, 
uh, at this point, that's going to be the, probably the critical path for us getting back to what we would call normal. Although I suspect that we'll still be living with masks and hesitation uh, when it comes to these, you know, this health issue in our economy for some time. But uh, yeah, a 90% or more uh, effective rate on a vaccine is extraordinary. Um, if you had something that was 50% and 50% of your public took it, only 25% of that is, is actually effective. But if you have a 90% efficacy rate and you get 50% of the people to take it, then almost 50% of the people are now immune. That, you know, these, these are the big jumps. And if you can get 80% of the people to take it, you know, 72% of the public's immune. So at, at some point that, that you get to herd immunity where the virus just doesn't have a place to go to replicate itself. So, yeah, that's it's positive stuff. That that percentage is the, is the key part of this whole equation, um, and it looks very promising. Sounds good. <clears throat> the, uh, the market has really gone to Pluto uh, unexpectedly, and I've been talking with a lot of the uh, supplier members in particular about this, and uh, no one expected that to happen. And uh, do you have a comment on how, uh, did, it, did that take Reba by surprise, the, the demand that immediately uh, resulted from people staying home? Or were you ready for that? You know, that, that's, that's a great question, Paul. So yeah, perfect storm here, I, I think, well, we know uh, when the pandemic hit, most builders, suppliers, folks in the industry thought we were going back to a 2008 scenario. They thought housing would would be devastated, uh, just like it was back then. Uh, but the exact opposite occurred, and we now know how that happened. Is is folks who were folks who were typically spending a lot of money on trips, folks who were spending money a lot on going out to eat. Uh, they they started to spend their money now that they were home, adjusting to their new life uh, at home. So the work from home folks needed the office space in their house. So that led to a lot of finished basements. You had parents who had elderly parents who no longer wanted to send them to a nursing home or to assisted living who now said, well, we'll bring our parents here or keep them in our house. So you had the need for additions and remodels. You had people who generally were now working from home, had extra monies who weren't laid off. And most folks who in that, in that housing arena were able to work from home uh, and and they had the extra dollars still coming in that they wanted to spend, and so they're remodeling kitchens, redoing those roof repairs, uh, et cetera. And then on top of that, you had the low interest rates that got lower. Uh, you had the economic shift from people who said, all right, well, if we're, let's get out of these dense cities and, and, and buy housing. People who were renting wanted to buy housing so they get out of the uh, congested rental setups. So you had a, you had a perfect storm uh, set itself up uh, for residential construction to take off. And, of course, a lot of the suppliers and builders weren't expecting that. So, I mean, on the lumber supply side, the supply-demand thing was so bad there that, you know, the cost of lumber went up over 100 150%. That's now starting to come back down, but it still has a ways to go. A lot of lumber mills shut down. Uh, and a lot of a lot, some lumber suppliers stopped ordering in anticipation that they wouldn't be getting much in the way of orders, and the exact opposite happened. So how was Reba prepared for that? Well, the, the Builders Association has positioned itself um, more strongly in the contractor development, education, and workforce training type of area. We really are a, a workforce training, a strong workforce training trade association. So our the demand for to retrain people 
uh, who had lost their job in other areas, say hospitality or or retail or whatever area they may have come from. Uh, they now, of course, wanted to get into a trade that was busy, that could provide a good uh, future for them. And so our, our contractor training and our trade training has has ballooned dramatically exponentially instead of training a few hundred i wouldn't expect if that grew but we know it grew by a huge number the number of people coming into the industry went from on average around 50 a month to well over 150 or so a month as far as new companies being started Uh, and we don't see an end to that in the near future i think housing will be affected in unique ways i even after the pandemic ends i think in people's minds the work from home in some cases may be permanent the kid home from college uh, working remotely uh, I'm sorry being educated remotely may, may be more of the norm I think putting your parents in nursing homes or in assisted care may permanently lead to you know folks wanting to have accessory dwellings or additions to their house so in other words, I don't think this just goes back to the way it was I think housing is going to be in demand and changes in housing will be in demand for quite a period of time and our industry is going to stay very strong and we'll and we'll be able to employ quite a few people going forward. So, uh, yeah, long-winded answer to a short question. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, the, the trade association is well-positioned to help, and the industry is in a very good position. The only problem we have now is our inability to build to the demand uh, as far as new housing goes. Uh, and that comes down to local planning, zoning, and state decisions on housing policy, which is still somewhat lacking. Well, you led right into my next question, John. Where does Reba stand? Where does the industry stand as far as uh, uh, working with uh, particularly local jurisdictions in in easing up on unnecessary unnecessary restrictions so that the housing um, uh, supply can be increased, as has been called for not just by Reba but but by Housing Works for Rhode Island and uh, other advocacy advocacy groups. Uh, where do things stand on that? Do you think there's going to be progress? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, there's been some progress. I think there's been a lot of progress on the realization of the issue. Uh, I mean, the, the state policymakers in the Senate House and certainly on the governor's side have, have, are aware of the housing crisis that exists in Rhode Island. And, you know, sadly, a lot of this has been planned for. Um, you know, state policy back in the 1990s that forced towns to pick up the entire, almost the entire burden, depending on your community, uh, of you know, educating kids. It led to high property taxes, led the towns to have the the belief system that adding housing or families was a detriment to their town financially, so they did a lot to prevent that. So we've got 30 years worth of excessive regulation, poor land use planning uh, that, that led to very few houses being built. Uh, the industry right now builds generally high-end homes and some subsidized product, but not enough of either of those, frankly, uh, and certainly nothing in the middle, uh, relatively speaking, and, and that's that middle housing has been is a major problem in the state for retaining its its youth, for uh, maintaining its family basis. I mean, the state's lost 20,000, 30,000 kids in, in the last decade or more. Uh, schools are, are closed. Uh, there's been consolidation of schools. Uh, property taxes continue to go up, and, and the repetitive belief system continues to make it worse. So I think, you know, Rowan understands now, policymakers understand now, that they have to do something to create incentives or relieve the burdens that are getting in the way of the towns allowing housing to be built. And I, I would say that the glass is half full on that, uh, that there's a lot of momentum now to fix these issues. And we've been doing it, and we'll hope to do it in a collaborative way where energy 
and environmental policies align with a future housing policy, and towns can develop or are allowed to be developed the housing that the state needs to grow, at the same time doing it in a reasonable way that uh, doesn't harm the environment. I mean, the, the solutions are there, the partnerships and relationships are there, the demand is certainly there. Now it just comes the political will to make it happen. And uh, I'm hoping that the league, uh, well, I should say the individual cities and towns that ultimately hold the control of ladies policy, uh, start to understand the dynamic, uh, important role they play in solving this problem. And I hope that the state leaders who who, who should, at this point, uh, understand the, the issues that affect and how housing affects local communities can start to change housing policies in the state, funding mechanisms, uh, et cetera, to, to bring this problem to an end. Um, it, it's housing in this pandemic. I think it's pretty obvious to a lot of people that housing has played a major role in it. it not, has, not only has it been affected by it, but when you have uh, you know families unable to find housing that are congested and stuck in a small space and you got multi-generational or multi-families with a lot of people in them, uh, that leads to an easy, more easily, or I should say more complicated uh, issue when it comes to pandemics. Um, so yeah, housing is now a bigger issue. I think the pandemics put a magnifying glass on it. And I think now we have, the policymakers realize they have to do something about it. You know, strangely, Paul, and you hear the passion of my voice on this, the industry has gotten blamed in the past for housing issues. You know, we're not, we don't produce enough of this house or things are too expensive because the industry industry is not producing it. Well, the industry only gets to produce what is planned for. So if your town plans for five acre zoning, or if your town, even in the denser areas, has densities that are very small, very light, that is what that is what gets built. And right now, where typically plans are supposed to solve problems or prevent them, the plans we have in place for housing are causing the problem. And those plans can only be changed by community leaders, not by an industry. We are fully prepared to fix the problem if we're allowed to fix the problem. We'll build the units where they need to be built and the concentrations that need to be built in. We are right now trying to deal with our own issues as far as training and retraining the future generations for our industry to get people actively involved in being contractors, learning how to build homes and learning how to enter the trades uh, so we can solve these problems. But ultimately, housing, uh, that's a policy decision. Uh, the um, Rhode Island Builder for December, which just went to press, has an article that was very interesting to write. It had to do with the uh, 2020 uh, housing fact book, which just came out uh, a few months ago from the um, Housing Works for Rhode Island, and it, it echoes precisely what you just said. It points out some very sobering statistics, such as there are no uh, towns in Rhode Island or cities where people making the... Uh, average renter uh, income can afford to rent. And there's only one home, uh, I should say one city, Central Falls, where people making the average income can afford to buy a home. Uh, it's, it, there are lots of very sobering statistics and uh, the call of course is for uh, just what you said, John, uh, the, the towns uh, and the cities to uh, and the state to jump in there and make policy changes that will allow production of homes because uh, they also point out that uh, this is a, is a health care issue now. Housing is now a health care issue. Do you have any further comments on that? Uh, I, I can say I, I certainly agree with Housing Works' uh, summary of that. I, I, I have seen firsthand 
the state of housing in some of our cities and towns. Uh, I, I now do understand the connection between uh, you know, healthy housing, uh, I should say a healthy environment in your housing. I mean, some of these houses people live in uh, haven't been touched in 100 years, uh, full of lead, asbestos, and mold, poor mechanicals, uh, you know, children who are raised in those type of conditions or people who have to live in those types of conditions tend to be less healthy. Uh, the financial burden associated with the high rents and poor housing choices put an economic strain on families, leading to... Uh, you know, lack of nutrition, uh, it, it, you know, it, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, housing is too much of a burden right now, and that has a huge economic strain uh, on, the, on the local economy and our ability to keep and attract companies and key employees. Uh, the saddest part is there are so many well-educated young folks who leave the area for housing, for better housing choices. I can't tell you how many times I get a call from a young person, frankly, or a young couple, both professionals, trying to find a house that they can afford that's decent, that has a decent school district. And and if they can't, and oftentimes they can't, they they decide to leave the area. And those are critical problems for the state. Uh, again, it goes back to that policy stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, policymakers are aware of this. Uh, the League of Cities and Towns and, and you know, responsible parties on a local level, and as you know, I governed a local town for many years. They're well aware of this issue now, and then most folks and in that, and I'm positive about it, understand that they have to be part of that solution. Um, the glass is now half full, and there's a different belief system t starting to take place on the local level, and our industry is here to assist. We're not here to demand. Uh, we're not necessarily here to fight. Uh, we will build the plan, and if the plan continues to be high in housing and subsidized product, that's what's going to get built. If the, if the state leaders and town leaders decide we're, we're going to figure out a way to build that middle house and do so in a responsible way that takes care of the environment and do so hand-in-hand -hand with good energy policies, then we're here to help with that. Um, but it's their decision. Okay. Well, John, uh, we're coming to the end of our half hour here. Do you have um, any further messages to give to the members at this point? Uh, not only to the member, they hear from me often, but to the non-member. For those folks out there who are not a member right now of the Ground Builders Association, I, I want to ask you to become a part of it. For a nominal amount of money, in some cases for uh, only $200, uh, the dues can range between 200 and 450 bucks a year. That is a relatively minuscule investment to be a part of this trade association. And by being a part of this trade association, you help us help the industry every day. We are involved in creating policies, training programs, workforce programs, informational resources, safety resources, insurance products that affect you as a non-member every day. And our ability to do this comes from the strength of our membership. And so I ask folks who are not currently involved in this trade association or have colleagues who are not members of this trade association to get them to inquire. I think that once he or she, uh, those folks get involved in understanding what we do and understand the, the minuscule cost to help um, the industry along, that uh, joining would be a smart decision for them and help not only them but everyone overall. So the easiest way to find out more information about this trade association is to call one of the most pleasant, helpful people in our group who's also in charge of membership, and that lady's name is Elise Geddes. And I'll throw a simple phone number out there for you all to talk to her, and that's 438-7400, 438-7400. And, of course, if anyone ever wants to speak to me directly, uh, you can get in touch with me directly through Elise. But, uh, again, 
Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for putting on these podcasts for everyone. Uh, I just want to hope everyone can stay safe here. We've got six months more to go through the tough part of this. Let's get this vaccine distributed, and uh, let's keep our industry healthy, and let's be part of the solution going forward for housing overall. Sounds so great, thanks, for, thanks for the opportunity, Paul. All right, okay. Buddy. Well, uh, that's about it for our podcast number six. Uh, now that we have more than five podcasts online, uh, or will watch for Reba podcast apps for iPhone and Android over the next few weeks. Uh, John, thank you for joining me today. And in the meantime, Rhode Island Builders Association, as you can hear, is going strong. Uh, for all the information, education, and member resources you need, uh, the, the number John just uh, gave you, uh, 401-438-7400 during business hours, or visit ribuilders.org anytime. I'm Paul Eno, here again with Executive Officer John Marcantonio, and we'll see you next time on Reba's News and Information Podcast. <laughs>